So guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of Logstock and Two Joking Addicts. I'm Romano. My name is Dean. I'm Kenny. Nice to meet you, Kenny. Lovely to have you down. Thanks for inviting me down like that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Dean tells us yeah, good things about you. Yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. It has. It's been, a, it's been, geez, how long would it be now? 2020. Oh, okay. 2023 now? Yeah, Jesus. yeah. You've the chai latte and all, yeah? I did have a chai latte, but I brought up some cacao as well. So I'm having some cacao oh, as well. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Happy days. Getting into them chai lattes, man, they're very, very nice. Oat milk. So I drink mine with coconut milk. Oh. And then I get the cinnamon on top. Very sweet, very nice. It's, I don't drink coffee anymore. Okay. So I need a replacement. And, uh, I was actually visiting my mother at Tesco's where she works with my new partner, Neve, And uh, we were getting tea or whatever. And I went in and I just seen the order. I says, give us one of them with coconut milk. So I used to drink the coffee with coconut milk. Because I don't drink dairy, dairy or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, she was just sitting on her side and said, this is going to cost me a fortune because <laughs> <laughs> I'd be buying them every day and I have been buying them every day now since at least one in the morning anyway coffee's got mad for the roof isn't it I don't coffee. drink it well, you know years ago the boys would be sitting around smoking weed and drinking coffee and it was a big thing you know for a joint and a coffee so I was like oh you want to start drinking coffee I must have went through about 20 different coffees and I didn't like it and I was upset but today I'm fucking glad <laughs> yeah it's a killer man we got a coffee machine in work and free coffee for oh, no. down our job. Just walking around. Well, anyway, down, I was in the other day and Fuck. I had three double espressos. Boom. And then I was like, wired. wired. Absolutely wired. And I was like, I could feel the coma above. And I was like, no, this is not good, man. But there is something nice about having a warm cup in your hand this time of year. Do you know what I mean? And just being able to have something to sip on. Especially before you start work or whatever. You know, it just sets your morning up. Mm. I find it sets my morning up nicely. Do you know what, I mean? what do you do for work? I'm now back in construction, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so renovating houses. Could be anything really, to be honest. Schools, roofs, whatever. You got roofs in that weather? Yeah. On all weathers. So I was a roofer for, what, 11, 12 years? Mental. But I love. Yeah, but you were going down the chimney, not actually doing roofing. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the, like, busy work. They're always grinding. And then, you know, it was a sense of, I'm out walking, I, I've arrived, I'm a man now kind of thing, because I started young, went walking with my uncles, but uh, oh shit, I'd never go back to it. Fucking hell, never go back to it. So every job after that has been easy, do you get me? I'm not, I'm fair from a handyman. Did I, <laughs> did I, I told you I broke my washing machine, didn't I? Yeah. I broke the glass of my washing machine. Yeah, the door. No, no, no. And I was without a washing machine for three days. And I was like, I'm too tight to fucking buy a new door. Or pay fucking 200 quid to get a new washing machine, whatever it may be. So one of my mates works in Harvey Norman, he gave me a door for her, the same washing machine, but it was a different different, um, different model of it. And I took the door off, tried to put it onto my washing machine. <laughs> Wouldn't work. Right, so I took the glass out of that door, put it into my door, put the door back onto the washing machine, but the glass was sticking out, man. I was like, for fuck's sake. I tried to get away with it. I was like, can you leave the glass hanging out? It's supposed to be in the drum, but mine was outside and it was just like fucking ridiculous. So I was doing that till about 11 o'clock last night, man. Fuck. Anyway, yeah, go on out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just a little vent. No, you're all right. Ah, but I do think it's important to be able to know how to do some things with your hands. The fact that you could even get the glass out and get into another door, like, for me, that's like, well, obviously, 
You're using your hands. You're yeah. being practical. Brian, man, me missus like that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. But I, I couldn't do anything around the house. Like Lydia has a drill and our our drill bits and all of this. Like I can't do anything around the house. And Annie just be asking me, "Oh, can you do this? Oh, Lydia be humming up for I can't do anything around the gaff. Oh man, I have to be honest today. Do you know what I mean? How was the drive up, alright? The drive was good, boys, yeah. Up early. Kind of looking forward, I was looking forward to coming up. Because it's also bringing back when I used to, the person I was going to do my apprenticeship up here. Meeting Dean and the boys at meetings and different things. And, and I think driving back up, I haven't actually drove that road since. And just, yeah, just a little bit of reflecting on the way up and just kind of, you know, the contrast of then and now. And I, I wouldn't have actually met Dean physically since then. Um, we used to see each other online. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I tune into the meetings and that. Coming up, I'm kind of just, just kind of taking it all in, you know, and just go, oh yeah, things are still moving in a in a positive direction, and I'm grateful, just grateful to be able to come up, share my experience. Where else would you want to be on a Sunday morning, when you're sitting around with people who understand you, who get, it, and uh, inviting me into your space to hear what you have to say? I feel very grateful for that. That. Uh, is want to hear me, is want to hear my story, you know. So, yeah, thanks for allowing me to come up. Oh, has yeah, it. To bring that sort of peace. Yeah. Just to come in on the sun and just relax. I'm looking forward to So, suppose, take us back a bit, Kenny, you know, what would life have been like growing up? Yeah, so what's funny, actually, at the moment, I've actually just started writing a book about my life. Uh, I'm literally just going into the introduction with a little bit about me and where I grew up. And I've been told for years to write a book because of the madness in my life, right? Yeah. And just the contrast of who I am now and, and, and who I used to be or the behaviours I used to have. I grew up in a county council estate, yeah, a very anti-social area at that time, early 90s. Not much money in the area. And loads of young fellas all the same age. You know, cars being rallied around the place, house parties everywhere. Guards in and out of the place. So that was all i seen as a kid. I'd get out there and I'd go up to my nanny's house, right? I always remember it so like... This place is so quiet up here. I'm bored. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I used to feel bored because there wasn't much excitement happening. So yeah, where I grew up, I seen a lot at a young age. And not that I didn't understand, but I knew it wasn't... Do you know what? It was fear. I grew up in a home where it was fear as well. Father was kind of a hard-working man. He'd come home in the evenings and if you were misbehaving or anything, he'd want you to be good and quiet or he'd discipline you for carrying on if you weren't listening to your mother. Which I'd never do. I never listened to anyone when I was a kid. They could tell me to do something and I would do the opposite. I was told at a young age, I went and got tests on that I was dyslexic. And uh, I don't like labels. That's one thing about me. And you'll see that as I talk. I really don't like labels. Because I think you define someone into a, into a space when you label them. I was labelled as dyslexic. I do have issues with reading and writing. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes how I perceive information is, is different to other people. I learned that. I went back into education recently and I learned that I le actually learn differently. And I have to work really hard when I'm learning something. Some people grasp that. I have to really go home and get my head into things for me to take it in. It's just a different way of understanding. But I grew up with these labels and being ADHD, I was in school. I was always kicked out of the class. I was always put down the back. No, I was a messer and I was a bowler anyway. There was no doubt about that. I was curious. And you couldn't leave me if I wasn't being in interested in something. There wasn't any interest in something. I just didn't want to be there, you know. 
So for me to sit there and try and learn stuff in class was torture. I'm out the window. I'm back home. I want to be up where the motorbikes are. I want to be up where there's messing, where there's football, where there's fun. Where I'm moving, I'm not just sitting still. So what I'm trying to do is I'm going to just try and describe for you where I was and how I ended up. I suppose using substances as a way to, to escape who I, who I felt I was. So anyway, them experiences in school, always being pushed out of class, really kind of told me, gave me that message that there is something wrong with you. You're not just grand the way you are. You're, you're trouble, you're bold, you're this, you're that. Then I come home from school with letters or whatever and my father be giving out. And he'd be saying, why are you messing or why are you doing this? And again, it just kind of confined that to me that there's something wrong with me. That uh, I'm a bad person or I'm a bad child. My behaviours were, as I see, I don't see any harm in what I was doing, to be honest. I think I was a curious kid. I think I took risks. I think I was trying to have fun. I never intentionally went out as a child. I'm going to do this knowing that that's going to create trouble for someone else. And I'm a, I'm going to make their lives difficult. I never had that. i just done things. I acted out in ways. And unfortunately, there was consequences. If I seen someone do that today, I'd try and understand their behaviour before I judge them for their behaviour. I know that if you judge someone for something they're doing, you're not actually helping that person. You're just putting a spotlight on them. And I feel the spotlight was put on me a lot. And that didn't help me because it just made me believe more in that kind of storyline that I wasn't good enough. And that reflected then into other behaviours. So around the age of 11, I started smoking cigarettes. I was in like fifth class in school. And by sixth class, I'd smoke cannabis. And obviously this was quiet, no one knew. And Yeah, a few of us went down to Canal Banks and were smoking a one-skinner. The boys were putting loads of hash into the one-skinner. And, uh, Go on, Kenny, smoke that, smoke that. So I smoked the thing, and uh, it's fucking... Felt sick, I was all over the place. And I remember getting sick everywhere. Pulled the whitey off it. <laughs> and the boys were like, you can't go home, you can't go home. And I was like, oh, like, like, you can't go home, like, you're going to get caught. So the, I went up to the estate and I lay in the corner of the basketball court in the estate <laughs> for like an hour. And the boys were like, go get a orange juice. <laughs> and I never got, never smoking this again. Right, this is the way I was. I'm never touching it again. But sure, obviously I was. I was around that group of people. And it was funny the next day, flagging and joking. And I loved that attention. That was something I also craved as a kid was attention. I needed to feel like I belonged in groups. I needed that sense of um, that kind of community thing where you're seen as equal or you're seen as a part of the group. And uh, for me, that was important. So I also done stupid things for attention in school, in in all them areas, trying to fit in because I felt no matter where I went, I didn't fit in. So <laughs> that got me into trouble too because I was a messer. And I'd mess knowing that other people would get a laugh out of it. I'd get a laugh out of it, but also they'd think I was cool or they'd think I was funny. That gave me that satisfaction. These people value me or these people see my work. Mm. And that, that's big for a lot of addicts as well, isn't it? Not just addicts, actually. A lot of people all over the world, like, growing up, we always wanted to fit in. We always wanted to be part of. And to do that, things just took off, like, didn't it? Yeah, and then you think about it, right? When you go and score and you have your bag, right? You wake up in the morning, you have no bag. The world's in bits, everything's shit. You don't want to see no one. You just want to get your, your bag, right? You go get your bag, you take your hair. Everything's happy again. Do you know what I mean? It's that change. It's that change of like, 
your needs are being met. So where you didn't feel you fitted in, where you feel you didn't belong, where your self-worth was before you took that hit. And then when you take that hit, that's gone. Because the bag, the bag is now your self-worth. Your self-worth is in the bag. Whatever you take, whatever you drink, whatever you shop, whatever you gamble, it doesn't matter. It's that you're getting that feeling that you're not getting anywhere else. And you'll believe that that's the only way you'll get that feeling. And everyone has something. We all have ways of doing it. That child at this morning coming in, that was my sense of comfort. Not that I need it as, w- as much as I would have needed to use, because I'm not in that space. But I still like to have comfort. I still like to have things that kind of, you know, warm me up, feel that warm. Only up. human. Exactly. We all have these things. But, but with drug abuse or substance abuse or addiction or whatever we, labels we want to put on it, we're seeking to find something. Well, for me personally, I was seeking to find something. And what I know today is I was constantly looking outside me for something I had within me. It's just like the curtains were closed and I didn't see that. I seen that I was this, that and the other. Court cases, guard stations, whatever it was. I was always in trouble. I was always a problem. I'd go home and I was a problem. I'd be in groups and I'd be a problem. I'd drink, I'd be a problem. So all the consequences were reflecting back to me that I'm this mess, that I'm not this good person. I remember one day, it's a place called Tannery Park where I lived. I was in bits one morning after on a session. We were all sitting in the park, still going the following morning. And I looked across at this family. This father's just pushing the buggy with his kids. And I remember sitting there judging them. And they were all so happy. And I was there judging them. How could it be like that? That's Deep down in my core, that's what I wanted. And then rather than be able to see that myself, I was judging them as if I was in a better position than them. And what they had was happiness. And what I was longing for all my life was just to be understood and, and be happy. When I was 12, when I was 13, I started getting into drugs. I had my first drug over those 13 years of age. My mother found me in the front garden, started for taking a lot of exit tablets and speed. There was a thing on Battle of the Bands that used to go on in my area, like rock music. And I was saving up money for to buy cans for that weekend. And one of the guys came down and he said, I swapped four cans with him for a couple of lines of speed. Not knowing what speed was. And... Uh, I took the speed and ended up out of it, obviously. And then I went back to a party with these guys. They were taking the tablets. And I couldn't remember any of this. I was already gone at this, blacked out. And uh, I'd taken the XC tablets as well. I don't know how many. I don't know. All I remember is, I don't even remember this. All I remember is her telling me this. My mother found me in the front garden. And uh, I was fronting out the mouth. You know, I was in an overdose. She brought me up and threw me into the back. You know, and she done first aid, thank God, because all of us used to get broke up when we were kids. We were always coming in, broke up, scarred. Anyway, only for she found me, I'm like, I would have died. So imagine that, your mother coming down to go to work. 14. And your son, her, her son sitting in the garden over those. Scary, like, scary. And that wasn't enough to stop me using. I was in the bed about two days later, I was very sick. My father wasn't speaking to me. And uh, she came home. She came to the end of the bed and I remember her crying, begging me never to do that again. And I was I was crying and I was like, I'm sorry, ma, I'm sorry. I didn't even know what I'd take. I was like, I back out to the boys to find out what was actually going on. When I was back out with the boys, it was funny. Same as the time I was yeah. the dog. And I got sick. It was funny then, you know. It was all funny. I'm cool now. This is good crack. You're in. So I wasn't one bit concerned about how my mother felt. Because I was with the lads again. Having a crack. And that's what got me into a lot of trouble. Was that kind of... Ego, that fuel and a fire, and everything. Yeah, it? it's like, gosh, or look, this is cool, like, and 
when you're a teenager as well, without any, say, drugs or anything involved, you're going through puberty, you're going through all these other things, adolescence. You rebel against your parents a lot and your parents kind of trying to show you the way, but you think you already know the way. And that was also there. So I was very rebellious. And then when I was being told I couldn't do things, I struggled with that all my life. So I was, I'll show them what I can do or what I can't do, you see. And that mentality, fueled with addiction, is very, very dangerous. So what happened was, I started to become an everyday user. I smoked cannabis every day. I drink when I could drink. Party every weekend, I could. And I started getting into a lot of trouble. So by the age of 13, 14, 15, I was getting arrested a lot. All the signs were showing that there was problems here. I remember a local guard used to stop. He used to pull over and say, Brocken, stop drinking that fucking vodka. Now that's a fucking mad thing for a guard to say yeah, to you at yeah. that age. Because he used to come up to my house to be damage after being done in the area. And I'd say, I can't remember, so I was drinking vodka. I can't remember <laughs> And I couldn't. And yeah. I'd wake up and be like, oh, no, what am I after doing? Right, because I'd be just dying to guard at the end of my bed. If I had a child now and that was happening, it's funny, but I'd be saying, what is really going on? What are we missing here? What are we missing that this is what's happening for this child? Why aren't we not trying to fulfil this child's goals? People what weren't educated yeah, back no. then. Like, weren't, you know? Trauma wasn't a word that was used. So I was going through all this stuff and trying to make my own way and kind of separate myself from the family because I was not much trouble in the family. I was bringing a lot of stress to their lives. So in my junior cert, I just scraped it, right? I don't know how. I just barely got by my junior cert. Like, I had no interest in study, obviously. I had no interest in homework. My bag was at the locker every day after school. And my father as well, he tried his best, and then he just stopped. He's like, look, if he's not going to do stuff, he's not going to do stuff. And I actually love my parents. You know, I love them very much. Because what they had to put up with, it wasn't easy for them growing up either. And I get that now. For a long time, I, for the early, my earlier days in recovery, I was very resentful against my parents. Because there was times they kicked me out of home. There was times things were happening. People were calling up for money. All these things were going on. And I was like, they don't love me. They don't care about me. You know, and all these things. And that would feed me in a place where I could, I could be, it could be okay for me to be angry. Do you know what I mean? It was all right for me to be angry then. It was justified. But really what was happening with all that was I was keeping myself sick. I was keeping myself in a place where that energy wasn't coming up. I couldn't, anytime I'd go to my family's house for Christmas or anything like that, I couldn't be my happy self. Because I had all this anger, all this resentment within me. Still judging them. I wouldn't be the way I was if they hadn't treated me the way they did. So I kind of had all these, what I would see as misskewed belief systems built up around me. As long as I was pointing the finger at other people, I was taking the eye off myself. I right? wasn't looking in. No. But what started to happen was, I'm going to fast forward. I went through lots of stuff. I got involved in criminality, got involved in drug dealing got involved with some dangerous people and you know things got pretty crazy and the funny thing is I was never in it for profit right I was never in it to make money I didn't care about money I just wanted to be around people where there was loads of drugs so I could use as much as I could and I'd do whatever I was a guinea pig and let's be honest because I was happy once there was drugs there and I'd be taking coke every night of the week and found where I wanted to be and I thought that was going to be the way for a long time this is the crack out partying meeting women snorting her heads off, drinking every night of the week. I didn't care. I just honestly didn't care. I didn't see any wrong in what I was doing. I judged the law, or the guards were this, that, rats. This mentality, I didn't see them as human beings. I didn't see them as people who have families at home. I didn't see anything like that. It was all about me. That's addiction. The self-centered is the core of addiction. Mate. 
So when I was in addiction as I labelled it, and I'll get back to why I, I'm not going with that label anymore. But uh, so as we're speaking, right, when I was in addiction, uh, I didn't see and why everybody wasn't playing into, into my way. If you weren't in line with me, I didn't want to know you. You were the opposite. Stay away from me. Uh, unless you had something for me, unless you had money for me to score, unless you were of use to me, stay away from me. Because that's how self-centred I was. And I'd done some pretty mad stuff to get drugs. I robbed, I'd done all sorts of things. Because there was something within me that needed to be fulfilled. And I would go to any extent to fulfill that need. Rather than sit in the misery and the sorrow of my own pain. And that's the truth. And I'd done some very tragic stuff to use. I'd done some very hard things that I had to sit in therapy rooms and share about. And be vulnerable and, and, and let go of that stuff. That was hard. That was hard stuff to accept. That I could get to a place within my life where making decisions like that just to use and not thinking of the consequences. And that's that's being honest. Um, so getting to that place where you're involved in criminality and these guys are all mad into making money and driving cars and all I want to do is just be on my head every day. I don't want to live in this world. And uh, what happened was we got into serious trouble. These boys were after us, right? Not specifically after me, but just because I was with them. And I remember we were driving around the back of the car one morning and these boys were after being creating trouble looking for us. Sitting in the back of the car, it was actually slowing at the time. We were down in Nina or somewhere, I don't know what we were at. I remember that moment when I was like to myself, I do not want to be here anymore. This is not for me. The boys are all buzzing, let's go get this, let's do all this stuff. And I'm sitting there, I just want to use and I just don't want to be in the back of that car. I was terrified. And I would have allowed myself to be terrified. I would put on a front. I would try not to be what was really going on for me that time. We could have been rammed off the road at any minute. And that's not who I wanted to be. It was the realisation of it all. Yeah, there was nothing in that for me. And I don't think deep down in any other fella in that car that I think the same thing was going on for all of us. Yeah. But I was just more in tune with it. That feeling of knowing that this is not really where I want to be. We powder on us, we had everything on us. Even with the drugs on my lap, still wasn't doing it for me. And I think at that time it was a moment of clarity for me. That there was something more, kind of. There's something more. Shortly after things blew up, then boys had to get out of the country. I kind of went offside. I was continuing to mess around with drugs and feed me havoc because that's what I was doing. And uh, I got to a stage where I'd been caught with drugs, caught with a lot of ecstasy tablets. I was living in my auntie's. I went through a bit of homelessness for a period of time and my auntie took me in. And she was like, I'll give you a chance, blah, 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 blah. So she took me in. I'm sure obviously I had a place to operate out again. And I took advantage of that, being a person who was involved in criminality and needed to use. So I started knocking stuff out of her place and I started to get quite a noise around me and then all of a sudden I got raided. I remember being in a truck with a fella, a fella I was involved with at the time, and uh, got the phone call from my auntie saying that there was uh, DS at the house. So after raiding the place and I said, we're out in the shed. We're out in the shed? Yeah, yeah. And she was like, yeah, 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 uh, you need to come back in there as quick as you can. And he's like, look, I'm not around, tell them I'll be in tomorrow. I got out of that truck that day and I started vomiting on the side of the road. A part of me knew something had changed in me that day. And a part of me knew if I went to prison, I'd be fecked because I owed a lot of money. I was in debt, a lot of different people. I was 21 years of age. My options were go to prison, get over to England to the boys that I used to hang around with because they were offering me to come over or uh, face up or else go to tre- treatment, to rehab. I definitely didn't want to go to prison anyway because the different people I was involved with, I was afraid 
Do you know what I'm saying? Different. Uh, 23 hour lockup. That's what my life would have been for the stent that I would have been in prison at 21 years of age in lockup because of deaths I was involved with. Like, so these are the situations we end up in as a result of this stuff. Like, and I was left with no family support due to my own behaviours. See, I own everything now. There's no one else's fault. It's all me. It's all my doing. And uh, I own that. Nothing to do with anyone else. But I had myself in a situation where I was no more to live now again. I was being kicked out of my aunties. I had no family support as a result of me using and all the drama that came with it. I was in a serious amount of debt and people looking for me. And uh, I was looking at going to prison. So I went in the following day into the guard station and there's two detectives there and they bring me in and they go through the whole thing with me. Do you want a solicitor or whatever? And he says, actually, no, I don't want a solicitor. Like, we strongly advise you to get a solicitor, Ken. I was caught with a basketball's worth of, uh, around that size, worth of XC tablets, or I won't go into value around. But it was quite a large amount of drugs to be caught with. And it was quite a serious charge. I was never even as much as caught with enough for a joint before this. Been in trouble for other various things. But uh, I was caught with tick lists. I was caught with everything, basically. I was caught for selling. Yeah, so, you know, I went, I said, no, I don't want a solicitor. And I don't know why, but there was a bigger thing happening underneath than my head. I'd given up the game. I was done. I didn't know that at the time. But a deeper part of me was thrown in the towel. And I was just willing to face whatever was coming. So then I go on, the two boys are sitting there and they're like, oh, blah, 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 do you want us to do that? I says, look, boys, it's all mine. I'm not. Actually, this is the truth, and I'm going to say this. I, I don't know what he was. He was either, a, he was above the sergeant anyway. He came down the stairs in that guard station. He only asked me, this is hands on my heart. We can make this all go away if you want to tell us where them drugs are coming from. That's a fact, please. And I turned around and said to him, leave that way. And that was after I'd done the section. And that'll just tell you what happens. <clears throat> they didn't want, they wanted me to expose people when they thought they were going to take advantage of me. Little did they know I'd already, underneath all this, I didn't care. I just wanted out of this. I didn't want no more hassle. And anyway, I was never one to tell on anyone. Do you know what I mean? Because it just wasn't what you'd done. But we grew up in my estate like that. From a young age, you kept your mouth shut. Because you'd often see things happening. You'd be around with older fellas, you'd get slapped in the ear, you didn't see that now. Do you know? And you'd learned. So I learned from a very young age to keep my mouth shut. And here's the thing. You're on your own. It's my fault that you got caught. It's no one else's. And uh, I learned that. So what happened was, I says, leave that with me. i done this section. And I came back to, to, to my auntie's house where I'd gotten caught. And she was snapping. She's like, you're out. You're done. I've neighbours. Da, 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 da. And I remember going upstairs. I had one of these little green rubber bucket yokes. And I used to have me washing in it. I just fell back into it. I broke down crying. I had this little 20 euro phone. And it's being hopped out of it. Lads looking for money. I'm sitting there. And I'm looking at the phone sitting on the end of the bed. And I'm bawling my eyes. Oh, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? And the strongest urge in me at that time is just to use I'm just thinking of a bag, get me a bag. I was a man on the coke at the time. And I had a serious tablet addiction as well. If I wasn't taking coke, I was taking tablets. Here I am anyway, sitting there, crying my eyes out. And I have a sister, Carol, who died before I was born. And I believe she was always with me. And just in that moment, again, it was like that deeper thing, knowing that I'd thrown in the towel. It was something deeper than me was asking Carol, just help me here, help me. I'd been to treatment two times before this. I went to Brory in Limerick and I didn't stay. I left. And uh, it's just about no matter where you go, when you're sick, your sickness will come with you. And my sickness came with me down there and created a lot more 
experiences for me. So anyway, I'm in that wash basket. And they're saying, go back to treatment, go back to treatment, go back to treatment. And here's the thing, another part of me knew if I went to treatment, I'd get a nice little letter for the judge. Saying, well done, you finished treatment. You're a great lad, we might get you off prison. Another part of me really needed to get in there because I owed so much money and needed to hide. So this is the truth. This is the stuff that you don't hear many people talking about. This is the real reasons. I was terrified where I was going to go next. And being honest, when I did get in, which I did a couple of weeks later, I had to hide in various places to invite people just to get into treatment. People were coming up for me and they wanted to harm. So I was in this kind of, just stay safe for now. You're nearly there. I was drinking like mad because I couldn't use. So I was drinking like a fish. And my brother found out, this is my younger brother, that I was kind of doing all this crack. And he says, like, listen, come down and stay with me. I'll keep you right until you get in. In fairness to him, he took me in and he, he kind of nearly nursed me through it for the three weeks. Until I was able to get in, he kept me away. He used to go down and buy me cans every night and everything. Just so I wouldn't leave the house. People would be knocking on his door looking for me. like, we don't know where he is, we can't find him. I'm upstairs with Atlan in the box room. You know, um, and I do strongly believe there's only for him at that time, I don't think I would have lasted. I don't think I would have gotten into treatment. Right, guys, we're just going to take a quick break. We'll be back just after the ad. This season is sponsored by Cloud9 Dogs, the Norway's first doggy daycare centre. Located on the old Dublin Road, Carrow, Sligo. If you're inside a 10k radius, have your dog picked up in the doggy van and dropped home after daycare. Opening hours are 8.30am to 6pm. Get your dog groomed by their groomer that has over 12 years experience in the game. If you're going on holidays, you can also book your dog into the Cloudline Dogs Hotel. Located on the premises, where night staff will be present. Find them on Facebook, Instagram and even TikTok. For all your doggy needs, their website is www.cloud9dogs.com That's www.cloud9dogs.com And I got in. I got into a place called Cunver in the Tides. The drug program is five months long. I went in there with an ego. Like you're in there with 23 lads, 22 lads. You know, it's like going back to the streets again. Kind of, yeah. There's this masculine energy, isn't there? And like you're like, I need to fit in here. I need to not be showing weakness here. I need to be... It wasn't consciously going on in my head, but my behaviour was saying that. Yeah, My yeah. behaviour was saying that. And uh, that wasn't long coming down. Because the start of the hand was I didn't even have any chemicals in my body anymore. My emotions started coming back. I always hear that, my emotions. So what's the, this is the funny thing. What does it mean by my emotions start to come back? It means that you were running from your emotions all the time, right? So your emotions now are starting to come back. The same emotions that you're after getting yourself into all this trouble just to get away from your family have stopped taunting you because of it. People have kicked you out. You're in serious debt. You're looking at going to prison. You've tried to take your life, which I have. I've ended up in Lakeview mental institutions because I didn't want to exist anymore. All because I was running from these emotions. I went to any length to invite how I feel. That's the reality of this because I didn't feel safe enough to express myself. I didn't feel safe enough to go to someone and say, you know, I'm having a really tough time. I just don't know what's wrong. And that wasn't that was an us growing up to, to do that. You don't cry. You get slapped. What are you crying yeah. for? Grow up. Be a man. That mentality. So that same teachings nearly killed me. Because I ran from myself my whole life. Because I didn't feel safe enough to come and talk to someone. If I go and tell them that, they're going to think I'm a pussy. But that is so wrong. And if saying this today, no matter who you are, no matter where you're struggling, when you're keeping that in, you're slowly, slowly making yourself sicker and sicker. It doesn't matter about using drugs it doesn't matter if you can't express an emotion that's within you right emotion is energy in motion 
If you block that energy in motion, you're going to leave yourself sick. Because it naturally wants to come out. Why did I want to kill myself? Because I didn't feel that I could go anywhere to talk. I didn't feel my life was worth living. I didn't feel understood. I didn't feel valued. So what did I want to do? I got to a place where I felt I'm so bad at myself that this life isn't worth living. And I couldn't see that. I couldn't see outside of that. No medication, no drugs, no nothing. Because the same behaviour that I was being told I was in school was now reflecting back to me in a much worse way with all these bigger consequences. Prison. All of it. So here I am in this treatment with all these lads and this energy starting to come up. These emotions are starting to come out. It's heavy, isn't and it? And it's heavy. Yeah, it is heavy. And I'm starting to cry. I'm starting to cry and I start to realise that I'm not this hard outer exterior shell. And there's a woman in there, she's now the manager of that place. Nicola's her name. She came to me around week five or week six. Now I'm in there, there's after being drug dealers calling the houses. My brother's house actually got raided because the guards had heard that I was staying there before I went to treatment. They didn't know that I'd gone through they heard I was staying there. You know, so there's all these things happening outside and I'm getting these you only get one phone call a week in here, right? I you getting them all on the oh, one phone call. Back, oh, I'm like, get out of here and I need to do this and that. And I'm, this is my mind. This is the, the sneakiness of this stuff. I go out now and I don't need to use. I just start banging out the white again. I'll get myself out of there. This tape's are playing in. I can do this. I know I can do this. Complete bullshit. So this woman, Nicola, comes up and she starts talking to me. She's saying, Kenny, you're a young man. You're 21 years of age. I have a son your age. He's off to college now. She put her hand on my shoulder. She goes, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. She goes, I want you to know something, Kenny. You're more than. You're more than your addiction. And that never left me. That was for me, it was like, the first time someone seen me unconditionally. She understood you. Yeah, she just seen me for me. She didn't see me as anything other than a young man with his whole life ahead of him. And that this is only one part of your life. This does not define who you are. You're more than that. And for me, that moment just changed everything. It actually did. It was a huge turning point for me in my life. And all it was was someone simply showed me a bit of love in a way that they didn't want that from me. It's not amazing. That little bit of compassion from me. Just, it was like everything just stopped for that moment. And that was it. That's all I needed. All I needed was someone to show me a bit of love. That's all I was missing, was that nurturing care. And I get, developed a close relationship with her in there then. And she helped me. She was a counsellor in there and she used to do the groups. And I felt that I could release emotions in a way when I was in her presence because I felt safe around her. Because safety is very important. If you feel safe around people, you'll involve yourself more, you'll engage more with them people. You'll talk about things because you don't feel a resistance, you don't feel a judgement, you don't feel like you won't fit in there. You won't be shut down. You're not, you're not like no. planning on what you're going to say or do. No, because you know you're in good company, right? And that's very important. We all need to find our tribes, our people. And I think that's starting to happen more and more now. Collectively, as, as a race of people, we're all starting to come together now and realise that, hold on a minute, that old system really doesn't work. There's men throwing themselves off buildings. It's happening, and it's happening at a very sad rate. You know, suicide and different things. And For me, just getting that bit of clarity, was just like I was having putting a slingshot and shot forward. I felt enthusiastic about getting myself right from that point on. I didn't care about what was happening. I just wanted to better myself. And that reflected in my chores in the treatment centre, reflected in my group work, and reflected in all the stuff that was a part of doing. I just started to do everything with a different energy, a more positive outlook. Nicola came to me, she was like, week 12 or 13, she was like, where are you going back when you finish? 
he's like, I never actually thought about that. And she's like, well, you know, you're in a lot of trouble. You are. And she handed me this leaflet. And it was for a place up in Navin called Taper House. Secondary treatment. And she was like, would you think about going there? And this was another four months. I was like, fuck, I'm not on five months. You know. But then a part of me said, well, if you go back home, you're in a lot of bother. Back to the madness. Yeah. And it wasn't about worrying about relapse. It's like, you're going back and people are looking for you. Because deep down underneath it all, I was terrified. I don't like violence. I don't like physical conflict. I never liked it. I never liked any of that stuff. And deep down, I used to be terrified of the thought of getting dragged into a car or any of that stuff. So I was like, I'm not going back there. And I went back and I sat down and I said, Nick, like, do you think I'll get an opportunity to go there? And she said, you leave that with me. And whatever string she went and pulled or whatever she did, she set up and I went up there with my mother. I done this kind of intervention thing with them and, I, and they said, yeah, come back up on such a day. <clears throat> so when I finished there, it was literally finished. I had three or four days and then into the secondary place. So I had kind of nine months of a bubble around me uh, before I'd gotten back out into society uh, uh, as such. And that had given me enough discipline, enough structure, enough balance to kind of be a little bit okay with myself. Yeah, I'm laughing because it's just I was still so fucking mental when I left there, you know. I left there and I still had court cases. I still had drug deaths. I still had all these these problems that had to be faced. And what I'd done was I got onto a CE scheme and I was on a CE scheme and I was doing aftercare. I know this aftercare you do for two years. So I was doing an aftercare programme and I changed because I didn't like the aftercare programme. I felt it very hard. I felt like I was throwing stuff out and I felt like I was nearly being met with more of being seen as a problem more than being accepted in the aftercare. I was like, this isn't for me. I was acting out at this time, right, as well. I was looking at uh, porn. I was eating bad food. I was seriously struggling with lust because I just started to replace these bad feelings and escaping into a, a less, say, damaging way. At the time, I didn't realise what was going on. Anyway, I come out of that. I, I, I come out of that aftercare. I went to this new aftercare, but in order to do that, I had to meet a fella called Liam. Liam comes anyway and he meets me and he sits down with me and I'm telling him oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I have all these problems and how poor my life is and he's just listening to it, listening, listening, listening. And he turns around and he says to me at the end, he says, Kenny, many people get clean. Few people get well. He says, get your fucking act together. He says, get yourself a sponsor. Get on the 12 steps. He said, and stop this bullshit. He said, because all you're doing, he says, is you're not picking up your drug of choice. Well, I left there at fuming. Yeah. <laughs> and Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, but do you know what? A part of me kind of knew that I didn't want to go back to that place because spiritually I was very sick in myself, even though I'd done all this stuff. Because what was happening was I still wasn't dealing with the emotions. So through that aftercare, I met a counsellor, right? His name's Max. Beautiful man. I stayed counselling with him for five years. And I needed every day of it. But through the counselling, through NA, through step work, through being committed to the programme, as you know, I'd learnt an awful lot about me. I was really enthusiastic about it as well. Like, my sponsor, Mick, at the time, I call him Spiritual Mick, um, he really helped me a lot because he was just such a loving presence. He never ring you up, why aren't you doing your step up? He allowed me the space to be me and he allowed me to go at my pace. It wasn't about, he said, it's not my step work, it's your step work, Kenny. He says, I'm here to guide you. He says, I'm not here to tell you what to do. He says, if you're struggling, you reach out. If you want what we have to offer and you're ready to go to certain lengths. He said, it's not what I want for you, it's what you want for you. And that opened my eyes as well. So I started getting into all that work. I started doing all the spiritual stuff. 
And I remember meditating one morning down in Wexford. I was meditating in a room. I used to meditate here every morning, watching the clock. I'd meditate, I'm done. And I'd be out the door. One morning, just sitting there, meditating. And all of a sudden, this lovely feeling comes over me. And just get lost. Time doesn't matter, nothing matters. I feel all this energy flowing through my body. This peace comes over me. I come out with about 25 minutes later and where was I? Nothing I'd ever experienced before. And I'd been to yoga and I'd been to different things over the years, right? But through the experience of, so I had Reiki done on me, through the experience of other people, I felt these things, but never by myself sitting in a room on my own. It was like getting a hit of a drug again in a different way, in a natural way. Just like, whoa. And I remember ringing Mick back day and I said, Mick, the maddest thing happened to you this morning. <laughs> and he said, what, what, what? I said, I was meditating, right? I just felt so good. <laughs> there was just this lovely feeling came over me. I said, nothing mattered. I didn't care about getting out the door for work. I just wanted to stay there as much as I could. And he said, welcome to being in the presence of your higher power. He said, well done. Congratulations. He said, you've just sat with God. While well, I started bawling my eyes out in the car. And I just felt every word he said. And he says, I'm going to leave that with you. Keep up the good work. So from that day on, I started really getting into meditation because I found something that I didn't need anyone else to give me. I had it within me. I just needed to allow myself the space to do it. And I started to follow the spiritual practices then. So I started getting into stuff like Reiki. Uh, and I started doing stuff like that. I started practicing with people, you know, doing Reiki, doing energy stuff. I'd gone and gotten the atonements done. I'd gone off and done another thing called Rahani, Celestial Healing. It's all to do with heart energy and different things. That's lovely stuff. And I started getting into all that. I started spending more time around spiritual people, going to events, going to sound therapy, stuff like what you're talking about. Gatherings, like, you know, and I started really investing my time in that stuff. And that would have been shortly after, a little bit before I came up to see you, Dean, up here. It all just took off. Then I finished. The raking stuff just happened shortly after I left you. The spiritual stuff was happening before that. And then when I left Sligo, I started getting into raking. That's when I left the, the, the electrical gig. because like, this isn't for me. And I started Different getting, kind of electricity. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. And uh, what happened was, I started doing this Reiki as I was still in the electrical gig. And uh, I'd done the level one, the level two. And I remember saying to the level two, I'm just not finding me work anymore in Jai. she goes, oh, she said, why wouldn't you? Like, you're going inward now, Kenny. She said, she said, that doesn't serve you. That environment doesn't serve you. And I was like, well, right, right, right. Because I wasn't, I was never thinking that. I just felt like it wasn't there for me at the my daughter was on the level three, and without Portugal, I'd done this really deep healing. I actually came out of my body and all, right? Came out of my body with this woman healing, doing healing stuff on the bed with me. And I'm actually looking at myself just lying there in the bed from above myself, right? And I'm telling myself I love myself. Really beautiful experience. I come back that weekend, and I go up to, to Kells, to the company I was working with, and I just hand back the keys to the van, and I says, I'm done. I'm like, what, what's that? I says, I can't work, please. I'm really grateful for everything, thank you, but this isn't for me. I left that and I ended up going into the counselling. The first year is personal development. So in that year, I'd been doing a lot of spiritual stuff, a lot of my own stuff. I listened to a lot of spiritual teachers, right? Also going through a lot of change in my life. And uh, you know about my brother and the circumstances around me, the brother who was in prison. I was met by a lot of hard challenges. Now I see them as beautiful experiences, right? Because I've grown from them. And I'm going to get into that real quick before we finish up, because I think it's important. But anyway... I started getting into the spiritual stuff, started going through the college course, and I started to realise more and more about life and how we perceive life and what we experience life as. 
at the start of that year, I started to say, hold on a minute, I'm not an addict. I'm not this guy that's in recovery. Because if I'm an addict, I'm telling myself, I'm defined as that for the rest of my life, that all I am is this addict, this person in recovery. Yeah, I'm eating healthy, I feel good about myself, my life is quite good, I get up in the morning, go to work, I'm employable, good family member, you know, I'm not breaking the law, I'm not doing any of these things that society views you as, I suppose. But deep down within me, regardless of all that stuff, I felt whole as a person. And I said, I don't need to go anywhere to be well. I am well. And I'm a good person and I've always been a good person. And no one can take that from you. Everyone viewed me as something and I took on all that. I had to go through that five years of therapy. I had to go through all this stuff, the spiritual stuff, the meditations, meeting people. And in them environments, people reflected back to me, goodness. And I got to a stage where I started to realise I don't even need people to reflect it back to me. It's just who I am. It's just me. I can go out and I can put my hand on a tree and I can say thank you. Because without that tree, I don't breathe. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, man, I can listen to this all day. But without that tree, I don't breathe. Without the sun, we don't live. The energy, the heat source from the sun keeps us going. Do you see that? So, yeah, do I need to sit in a room and tell myself I'm sick? No, I don't. Just need to go out and step in the forestry or go for a swim or come up here and chat with Eagles. You know, just enjoy myself as who I am. Enough. Even on the tough days. And they're not even tough days anymore. It's just an energy. We class them as tough, we label them as tough, but really it's just an energy that needs to be shifted or understood or listened to. What's that knot in my stomach? Why do we feel so drained today? But we don't just sit down and see why you feel so drained. We don't just meditate. Why don't you go up and put yourself in cold water see what happens? You know, so what happened was, and I, listen, I respect NA. I respect all 12 Step Fellowships. And if someone was struggling from, with that today, where would I bring them? I'd bring them where to be around people that would understand them and let them find the way. Because it's not for me to tell people where to go. But I'd show you through my experience, this is what I've done to get me to here. So let me take you to this place and hopefully you'll find your way there. Please do. <laughs> but do you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's... just where I am doesn't mean someone else will be there. And I'm not saying to anyone that may listen to this, do what I'm doing. This is just where I've got from doing what I've done. And uh, NA has been a big part of my life. I had been for years. I was really involved in NA, you know, in all the service positions. You know, and I love the people at NA because they're the most... I used to remember this. I'd be everywhere, right? Meeting everywhere. I'd go to an NA meeting and somebody would say, how's your family? How's your brother getting on? No one else would ask me that. Yeah. yeah, members would. That kind of love and compassion for you. Genuinely yeah, care. Yeah, genuinely care. And to get into a room and to be able to say, hi, I'm a day clean. Wow. Fuck. I'm a week clean. I'm a year clean. Whoa. I remember getting me glow in the dark badge. Home in the wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> the light, light. Yeah. Oh. But what I'm saying is, I just got to a place where I realised I'm not in recovery anymore. I'm not recovering from this. I don't have this lifelong illness. I haven't been to a meeting in Jesus, I don't know how long, a year? I'm not even sure. It's been a good year. And not once we said, Jesus, I miss a meeting. Because I don't believe I rely on them. I don't rely on anything. I rely on sleep. I rely on the right nutrition. I rely on satisfying my needs, whatever my hobbies and my interests are. And that's what does it for me. Because I've broken that link to think that I need to go somewhere anytime I don't feel right. Oh, I haven't got a meeting in weeks, my head's gone mad. I used to tell myself that. Or now I'm like, it's nothing to do with the meeting, can it? It's not the meeting that has you gone mad, it's your behaviours. It's what you're not doing. But you're relying on this meeting. You think once you go here, all of a sudden things get better. I'll just go mad again for another few weeks and I'll just go back to the meeting so I'll be alright. 
Do you see the pattern you're setting mm. yourself up for? It's not about that. It's about getting up in the morning. It's about doing the right things a day at a time, right? As they say. But that is so true. Because you can only have this moment right now. And the experience I'm experiencing this moment is the only experience I can have. Now I can choose to take this experience positively or negatively. It's my choice. If someone came in here and said something negative to me, I have an opportunity to appreciate what they've said and accept that. Or I can react and say, so how do you know? Do you know, I can, that's my options. Nowadays, I seek to try and understand people rather than be understood. Because I'm comfortable with who I am, so I don't need to express myself or be a certain way. Understand well, that's where they're at today. That's okay. You know, and it's that, that's how I view things now. Tomorrow, I could be a wanker to somebody in a traffic. I could put it in front of someone. And that's being honest. I'm not anywhere. I've just gotten to a place where I try to understand things differently. And I try to let the experiences that are outside me, when they come into my me, whether it's a traffic day, whether it's whatever, good or bad experience, I try to learn from that experience about me, how I respond, how I react. And for me, that's important because I'm trying to learn as I go. Some days I get better experiences and I can understand myself. Some days I'm challenged with stuff and I need to go inwards. I need to retreat. I need to meditate. I need to say, Kenny, why did you say that to that person? What was it about you there? And that's the learning. So I've shifted from being reliant on recovery to saying to myself, I'm no longer an addict. I'm no longer in recovery. I'm now a person who's just experiencing life as it unfolds in front of me. And I have found that the best way for me to do that is by following spiritual practices. Because I believe we live a spiritual life. And the thing about energy and emotions is when we all constantly have energy moving in our body. And I say there's blockages that stop that energy from moving. It's like a river. The river's flowing, right? We have put all these rocks in the river. No one else. Well, I have put all my rocks in the river, should I say. And right? And what's happening is the river's trying to flow and it keeps hitting these rocks. And every time I block an experience, I'm not removing the rock. Until I start looking at the rocks and removing the rocks from that river, I'm, is my energy going to flow that day freer? And I believe over a period of time now, I've removed a good few rocks from the river. I still have a lot to remove. And I'll always be removing rocks till I'm no longer here in the physical body. So what's happened is I've started to allow things just to flow through me. I don't attach and I don't jump and grab onto things now. Why do you say that? Because the life's not just all about Kenny. I'm sitting here in this mobile home with you guys doing this, right? On a lovely day, spinning around on a ball that's millions and millions of miles away from the sun that's keeping us alive. So it's not all about me. Do you see that? It's not really all about me. I'm just experiencing it from this experience. I have a partner at home who's experiencing the world from her experience. I have another lady who's pregnant at the moment, Kira, who I used to go out with. And she's having a baby at the moment and she's experiencing what she's experiencing with that baby. You know, I have a family at home, they're experiencing what they're experiencing. So, like, there's so much more that's happening around us. And there's so much goodness that's happening around us. And I'm just here experiencing it from this perspective. But it's not only me. You know, the world doesn't evolve just around me. And how do I, like, go forward with that? Well, I try and serve other people. Try and not make it all about me today. Try and maybe share something on a podcast that someone might benefit from. Maybe try and do something good for, for someone without needing them to know. You know, offer your support somewhere. Do you know what's even better? Try and do as much good things for myself as I can that allow me to remove as much blockages from the river that I can. So when people are around me, they get to experience a better version of me than someone who's reactive, someone who's egotistical, someone who's whatever. Because the more work you do on yourself, the more energy, positive energy you bring to other people, right? 
And for me, that's important. So when I'm at gatherings, men's gatherings, men's circles, when I'm off meditating, I'm off doing hikes or whatever I'm doing, I'm investing in myself and I'm investing in other people. And I'll never stop to investing in myself. Because for years, I didn't believe in myself. For years, I thought I was just this damaged, broken person. There's no such thing as a damaged person. There's no such thing as a broken person. Absolutely not. And when I look at people, right, and this is important, inside every single person that's alive in front of you is a heartbeat. And that heartbeat is beat. What makes your heartbeat any different than anyone else's? What makes the light in your heart any different than anyone else's? We all can dress up. We can all wear what we want. We can all look how we want. We can drive what we want. We all come in the same. We all go out the same. So what makes anyone any different? At us, we make people different. We put people in different places. Foxes, they are less than us. We're better than them. Or not. I sit here today and I'm no better than anyone. But I'm also no worse than anyone. I'm just me experiencing this life the best possible way I can. And for me, that's owning my stuff, owning my experiences as they come in and try to learn from them and try to bring them experiences back out to the world in a positive way without creating any more harm and try to be as loving and as caring as I can. So when I say, say I see a heartbeat in every person, what am I saying? I love everybody. I love them dogs. I love you guys. I love me. I love this mobile that we have to sit in. I love the tree that I put my hand on and I feel a positive energy off. I love when I wake up and it's raining out. I love when I wake up and it's sunny out. Just love everything in a way that's okay. Some days I don't feel that love. But when I go back and I reflect, I'm like, wow. Because without any of this, we aren't here having this experience. So what's there not to love? So if there's anyone who's listening to this, I just really hope they can take something from it. Because for me, <clears throat> the best place I can be in is when I'm in my truth and in my honesty with the bad times, the good times, with everything. And being able to sit with that and say, you know what, Kenny, you didn't do well there. Or you know what, Kenny, you weren't in a good space there. Or you know what, Kenny, you were fucking brilliant there today. Well done. And being able to see myself for my goodness, no matter what, because I don't judge myself or put myself down anymore. I had enough people in my life do that, and I carried that for long enough to realise that that does. What works for me today is seeing what I would have seen before as negative or bad, as just a behaviour that's going on within me that just needs a little bit of light reflected on it, a little bit of support, a little bit of compassion for that area. Wow. Then the change happens. It's beautiful, isn't it? Magic. You've just... I feel like, so relaxed. You've <laughs> just wrapped your arms around my spirit and just looked after it. What and I will say, boys, is to get to a place where you can kind of see things differently, I don't see myself as anything. I've just opened the curtains a little bit more. I've been able to let a bit more light in. And through being able to let a bit more light into my life, there's been a bit more light able to come back out. And through doing that, I've managed to be able to, I suppose, not get dragged down by things. I don't watch the news. I don't listen to any of that stuff. I try and avoid all that. Because the energy just doesn't sit right with me. I don't need to know what's going on in the world. I just need to know what's going on here and how I can best give to that experience and take from it. So, I am really grateful to be here. I'm really grateful to you guys. And uh, I wish us all very well on your journeys, wherever you are going. And for anyone who's listening... If they want to say they're in recovery or they're addicts or whatever, you know, I wish everyone well. Keep up the good fight. If you're still out there using, keep doing the best you can. Hopefully you'll get to a point in your life where you can surrender, let go. There's many ways to stop using, but the, the, the only way is to believe that you're better than drug use. Believe that you're better than your pain. Believe that there's a way out, but the only way out is through you. I'd like to say this for any person who's out there using or in recovery who's listening to this. Put your hand on your heart just for a minute 
Just feel that heartbeat beating into your hand. Just listen to that heartbeat. That's your life. It's your life you're in touch with right there now. Breathe. Breathe through your nose and feel that breath coming into your body as your hand is on your heart. You're alive. Your spirit is alive in you. You're just covering it with your pain through drug use, through whatever it is you're doing. And just realise that there's something more going on within you there. Something more worth living for. And if you can tune into that and find a way to want to be more in that space rather than clouding that with, with substance abuse, maybe, just maybe, it'll open you up something different. I say to everyone, get to NA rooms, get to men's circles, get to whatever you can do that allows that energy in motion to start moving in a different way. And that's, that's why when we were chatting, I was like, Kenny, I'd fucking love to hear more about that because, <laughs> because for years, you know, it was only AA, you're only NA. But today, there's 15, 20 different ways of getting back to the place you're in or the place we're in or the places that we want to go to. There's so many different ways now because NA could work for, let's say, five out of ten people standing in front of us, but it won't work for the other five. So what are they meant to do? You know, so that's why I think it's, it's very important that we can spread all of these messages because there's so many other ways. I'm just completely this. relaxed, man. That was amazing. <laughs> that was fucking brilliant. Just notice, and it's a hard notice, that we don't need to look for love. We are love. The energy that, when we perceive something as love, right, that's our energy meeting that experience. It's not someone else's energy. We've brought, that energy is resonating with us. So we all have that love within us. So any person who doesn't feel that love for himself, just know it's there. So remove whatever's preventing you from feeling that. Get rid of it. And start to feel a bit more happier. Start to feel the love. Start to look out and enjoy life. Start to do things that fulfil you. Whatever that may be. Yeah, well, i tell you what, I can't wait for this book. Can you appreciate uh, that, Mark? Because you uh, need to get all the audio what's, books, man. What's going to, the stuff that's going to be in that book, that's going to fucking change lives, brother. You know, it's uh I would recommend yeah. everyone go and try modalities, different modalities. There's loads of stuff out there. But it's all about experiences, right? So collect as many experiences as you can, but try to collect positive ones. Don't go off trying to do any stuff that you know is not really good for the spirit. Try and do as many positive experiences as you can because what happens is you're opening up yourself to new energies, to new experiences that allow you to expand because what we're all trying to do is we're all trying to expand ourselves and evolve as human beings, right? To a, to a much easier place so we can continue our lives through this experience as best we can rather than getting caught up in all the mundane stuff. So how do you do that? You go out and you collect new experiences. You go out and meet new people. You go out and, jeez, I've done this biofield tuning the there. Whoa. And then it's it, savage. It's just, it's just like you hit a reset in. button. And all of a sudden, you have all this new energy that you want, new positivity flowing in your life. And you just and you want, want to, to share it with the world. Exactly, as well. exactly, yeah, Dean, right? Yeah. You want to go and you want to run 5K <laughs> every day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But this is the stuff because it activates something inside of us. Why does something need to be activated in us? It's because whatever we're doing every day is only meeting us at a certain point. But we know there's more. So we go somewhere, we meet someone new, we have this connection with someone, we go through this modality, and wow, all of a sudden there's this new experience right in front of us. Let's go. And that's what happens. It shifts you. It allows this energy to flow, this energy in motion to flow differently. So what I would say, boys, is go and collect as many experiences as you can and go and meet as many people as you can. Travel. Just go on to Google. Find something and you'll know because your mind will say, geez, I want some of that. And go for it. And just see where it takes you. Because that's what I've been doing. Because there's no bad experience, right? It's just an experience. You make it bad or you make it good. Yeah. 
I'm going to leave it at that. It's all right. Yeah, <laughs> that man, yeah, that was that's brilliant. Yeah. I'm gonna, Gary, send this across to me this evening because I want to listen to it. Are we going to sleep tonight? But... Yeah, yeah, brilliant. This was, this was amazing, Kenny. And uh, thanks so much for coming up as yeah. well. You know, yeah, thanks so, yeah, yeah. so much for any making time, the trip. Any time, lads. Really yeah. amazing, man. Yeah, yeah, so. Thanks so much for having me up, guys, as well, because that's important. Yeah, It's important to be, to be, uh, to be invited up to things and... and you know to be able to contribute to, to yeah, I've, I've always loved listening to you I was telling a couple of the boys that was Sligo there yeah. so, oh, Kenny's coming up now Sunday like oh no way I used to love when I seen Kenny walking in the dogs you just sit down yeah. and you just what you done to us here today everyone is just relaxed. I was like a briar when I came in here a little bit tired and I'm just like that now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know what I miss Sligo yeah. I always reflected on that time well, this is it now you're back yeah, now yeah. You, know, you have a reason to come back now I was moved up here I was moved by Sligo by the land by this just it's a very special place for in Ireland everybody Sligo. that comes here says that don't they we had a fella down yesterday morning and he's just standing he was standing out there and he was like look, look at the mountains he's like look at the mountains but people that live here have seen it their whole life so they kind of forgotten about it like you know whereas everyone that comes here it's like oh my god like I'm I'm living in Sligo now it must be it must be about six years now and still I'm like, I love this place. You know, people always tell me, why oh, would you ever move back to Dublin? Not a hope. See? Not a I'm hope. Not because I have Strand Hill, I have Ben Bulb and Knocknaray, all these places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That are, you know. A sense of freedom up here, right? A yeah. Huge sense of freedom up here. Like in Dublin, you know, don't get me wrong, I have a love hate relationship with Dublin. I love it and I hate it. It's not so much the triggers or this or that, it's that. I can't walk out my door and, and go for a run in nature. I'd have to drive for half an hour to find a good place to go for a run. Like, Yeah. The city life suits some people, right? Yeah. It suits some people. But I think when you're looking for that kind of fulfilment, that freedom, that kind of, you know, you're, you're not going to really get that as much as if you're trying to run through cities or trying to, you know. And I find the energy in cities is very dense energy. I find yeah. it very heavy. You know, everyone's grinding. Everyone... I need it every day, like. I need to be out in nature. Every single like I go out on my runs every day and I'm surrounded by trees and, and it could be lashing rain and out. But like you are saying, the the experiences I'm getting a different experience every day I go out. You know, I'm going I'm going out in the height of it. I'm finishing my run and, and the smile is from ear to ear like Do you know what? And I said it to you and I remember seeing you Dean back in twenty twenty and even talking you know, and even being in communication with you like sometimes we don't recognise the change in ourselves as much as we do when it's reflected back to us, but I see a huge change in you. And even talking, even the way you talk and speak, and when you were doing this Sunday morning thing online, I knew it. I said, Dean's really getting into this now. You know, you're really into it. And now, Jesus, that's a long time ago. And like, here you are now, and you're doing podcasts, you're doing all this stuff. But what most importantly doing is you're following yourself. You're following what you want. You're doing what Dean wants. You know, and that's reflecting back in the person you are. And you're sending me pictures of you and your kid yesterday. I'm like, wow. What would you have done years ago for that moment to be the person you are now to send that um, picture to someone to embrace some kid like that? I used to watch everybody with their families and with their kids, and because this is the stuff that we that we that we uh, want to hear about when we're struggling, and that this is possible, and that we can get to these places. And here you are, the energy is moving my body's not, and here you are now inviting me up to share my story. And you're flying it in life. Absolutely flying it in life. I appreciate that, Yeah, So you. well done. No, because it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow, so well done. Yeah. Thank you. Right, so, lads, this has been lovely. Mano, do you want to do the honours? <laughs>
Uh, yeah, guys, thank you all for tuning in. Kenny, thanks again for coming up. Absolute blown away by that. Guys, lock, stock, and two joking addicts. Ew. Boom. Boom.